know what we should do tomorrow. Keep drinking. We'll have a bloody merry first thing. Have a bite of the king's head, a couple of the little princess. We'll stagger back in. <laughs> back at the bar for chance. How's that for a slice of fried gum? I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. So what's your name, Icy? Stuntman Mike. Stuntman Mike's your name. You ask anybody. Hey, Warren. Who is this guy? Stuntman Mike. Trash genre cast where a bunch of people gather around a table and we talk about films that you'll never ever study in a film studies course, but we're going to study them anyway because the canon is baloney and we're not going to keep that stuff going. This week's film is a little Arnold Schwarzenegger number called Total Recall. And there's going to be lots of <laughs> yarging because it seems like Arnold yard quite often. But before we get into all of that, <laughs> you guys are having fun. We're going to do some introductions to my left, sir, if you would. My name is Dalton Stewart, and Cohagen, give these people their air. Across the table from me, if you would, sir. I am Arthur Gordon, and I just had a terrible thought. What if this is all a dream? Kiss me quick before you wake up, buddy. Moving on down, Miss. Do you remember? <laughs> Ma'am, if you would. I'm Alexander Bohannon, and consider this a divorce! <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, baby. It's a short-lived tenure. <laughs> you know you're the girl of my dreams. I'm Dustin Sells, and I'm very glad to be here with you all talking about this very super quotable film, Total Recall. So, script clearly has a thumbs up, I think, from around the table. But before we do that, uh, and we move on, we got to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. So what we're going to do is we're going to do film studies analysis on Total Recall. We're going to do analyst-type stuff that's going to require spoilerific spoilerage. And as a result, uh, there is a warning for you right now, but before that, we'll do a quick synopsis, and then we'll do our quick reviews is what we think. And if you'd like to pause the podcast before moving forward with that, that is fine, and also dandy. But let's go ahead and do our quick spoiler-free zone of synopsis and reviews, beginning with the voice of the cinema, Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. When a man goes for virtual vacation memories of the planet Mars, an unexpected and harrowing series of events forces him to go to the planet for real. Or does he? That's right, Question mark. <laughs> Question mark. Thank you. That's right, dear listener. We are going to have to do what Hauser tells us all. We're going to all have to go to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. And now that we are there on the planet Mars, we need to just do our quick thumbs up, thumbs down. How many trash cans worth 
is this film? Does it work for us quickly? And also, one, perhaps two things, why it works or doesn't work for us. I ask you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. Uh, yeah, if I had to give this some trash cans, I think I'd say 15 out of 19. I think it's a valid number. I'm pretty warm on this. Uh, you know, I remember, I haven't seen this in years, and I remember some key scenes uh, from... From when I was a kid watching it, uh, specifically the thing when he pulls the implant out of his nose, and then the fat lady mask when it unveils. It's disturbing, yeah. I love that mask thing. I always thought that was really cool when it. I love wearing the dress. Every man's got their vice. Um, What's yours? Well, I told you I'd have to kill you. Uh, I think this movie balances cheese and seriousness well. I think it to- the tone works really well for me. I love Arnold. I think Sharon Stone does really well here. Uh, the rest of the cast is pretty hit or miss. Uh, but it doesn't detract from the film and what they're trying to do. I think there's a pretty solid script in there. My biggest thing is that I feel like the finale just kind of loses steam and it tapers off in the third act. Sorry. You're all drunk. Uh, you know, overall, I think it's a lot of fun, though. I, I, I like it. And, you know, And compared to the remake and even the Hunger Games last week, what we have is a movie, I think, that has a heart. And there's something to it. There's a soul there. And so I respect that. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like it wasn't just a... I'm sure it was a partially money vehicle, but there's something more to it here. And I think that's on Verhoeven's behalf. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon, for your review and for your brevity. Uh, Mr. Dalton Sturt, what say you? Arthur Gordon, you're a fool. I've been called worse. You know who is great in this movie? Why better. Michael Ironside. Oh, so good. So wonderful. He's always great. Is he the... He's Co Cohagen's uh, second in the guy that was the big, other ball. I think one. he looks like Jack Nicholson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love my blind side. The best voice in the world. This movie's great, guys. This movie's wonderful. I love it. 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 You know why? Why? We talked about this last week. You know what makes everything better? What? Graphic violence <laughs> and thinky thoughty thinky things. Thinky things. The movie's got a lot of things it's thinking about. Too many, probably, or maybe not enough. It could go either way. I think it probably has too much it's thinking about and doesn't say enough about half the things Any it's thinking it? about. That's yeah, fair. I think that's a problem. But it's so much fun, and, and Arthur totally hit the nail on the head. This movie has so much heart and brain and other viscera, and we see all of it. Um, but Paul Her- Verhoeven gives a crap, and I think that rings true in all of his movies. I really do. Um, and Total Recall is just so much fun. You know, you forget, and yes, this is a 1990 film, but I mean, this is, it's an 80s film, like, films released in 2000 were still 90s films. You forget how violent 80s films were, and I don't really know what the reason for that is, but, man, so violent. So violent. There were a great many squibs used. So many squibs. (laughs) That guy gets shot on the elevator? Yeah. Oh, well, it's like $10,000 worth of squibs right there. Well, it's the worst because he grabs the random dude by the backpack on the elevator. Like, that's me. I'm the dude. In the, I'm not a super. I thought super he was a, a guy that was. No, he was trying to kill him. He grabbed a guy. Oh, I'm thinking of the guy on the escalator. No, yeah, I'm elevator. talking about that guy. The guy on the escalator. Yeah, that's just a dude. No, I was the guy trying to kill him. No, no. It's Listener, a, I'll let you be the judge. It's just a dude. I'm he uses him as a human shield and then argue. tosses him on Michael Ironside. I'm pretty sure it wasn't just a dude. Hmm. I'll let you be the judge listener. If it was a dude, all the better. Wait, he, are we talking about the dude that gets tossed on the other dudes in the escalator? Yes. That happens. Yes. Well, is that just a random guy? It's just a random guy, right? Random no. guy. Oh, shit. Not- <laughs> <laughs> even better. Even better. Oh, uh, wow. This movie. I don't. I can't even... I don't even really know what to say. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's good world building. 
I, like I just it's it's such a deep like there's so much texture and detail to all of the science fictiony stuff and to me that's what makes good not even necessarily good science fiction but really well made science fiction is how textured the world is and for me there's so much of that that we get here and it's just fun and what more do you want from a movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger directed by Paul Verhoeven not much more I don't think thank you very I, much I, I give it a hundred and forty six trash cans out of a hundred and fifty five all right, there is a review for you, dear listener. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what say you? Well, I have actually seen a significant part of this movie before this point. I didn't realize that when I was 10 years old, I caught the end when they're, you know, kind of blowing up from the lack of air. Oh, the lobster face stuff. Yeah. And it scared me so badly. <laughs> I was scarred. What is this movie? Why is Arnold exploding and just <laughs> now you know leaving? And now I knew. I had no idea what that movie was, and I just feel like my life came full Complete. circle, total recall at that moment. I think this is one of the only Verhoeven classics I'd never seen all the way through. Really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Unless we count Showgirls, which I don't count. A little okay. Verhoeven classic. I give it a double thumbs up. I was pleasantly surprised and extremely... I'm so enthusiastic about this movie. I would give it another watch tomorrow, easily. I think it was just that good. I was I was roped in from the get-go, and the plot twists were twisty enough that... I mean, I guess right before they happened, I could have predicted it, but maybe five minutes before, I wouldn't have. And I'm sure you guys... Got that too, maybe, or you just predicted it the whole time. No, no, I'm just I'm smiling because I agree with all the things she's saying. Yeah, yeah yes. absolutely, I love it. I I was so enthusiastic I watched the remake right after it. Yeah, that was a mistake. Oh, <laughs> see, I was curious because while watching it, I'm like, wow, this is. I was really fascinated by the perception of the timeline because I'm like, okay, they're using these very 80s stylized computers not even trying to make this like future upgrade but then they have weird things like you know obviously going to mars the recall soft the recall experiences and all this stuff that suggests future so it makes me think it's not just it's not just future but it's like the future in an alternate universe earth like maybe like the 80s and 90s in an alternate universe earth because there's just all this really ugly awful technology but it's still kind of futuristic but the like the video conferencing telephone systems and all of this stuff is so just dated oh, although i would love to have her nail technology just to be able to paint my nails and stuff. <laughs> me That's too pretty awesome. yeah anyway that was one thing that really fascinated me and made me interested to watch the remake just to see how they re-envisioned the future again in 2012 they didn't. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's... It's kind of just dystopian, isn't it? A little kind of crappy. Alien, yeah. It's like Blade Runner. It looks more like Blade Runner than it does look like Total Recall. Yeah. The remake does. Yeah, definitely. Maybe that's... It's, that's really interesting to me. I thought they would have, you know, made it like the thin glass iPad style, but they made it Blade Runner. That's, there's a phone in somebody's hand, but that's country. about it. Yeah. What? It's like a very poor... Yeah. So there's not that It's richness. not very good. Oh... Okay. Yeah. Well, I other things that I found interesting: the gr graphic ultraviolence. That I mean, it was so. I felt so relevant to this film, and I'm still always impressed whenever Arnold can take out a group of 
five heavily armed guys, but then gets bested by a you know hundred and twenty pound yes. woman. Um, still great though. You could tie me up, I guess, uh, with her little eighties. <laughs> Sharon Stone. Sharon Stone. Yeah, Sharon Stone. That was good. Um, overall, I found this movie to be a delightful ride. I enjoyed myself immensely. A very full five trash cans out of seven and a half. He stabs a guy in the face with like the other, like an IV that's been taken, like an IV carrier mm-hmm. that's been taken apart. I he know, stabs he, it in the face. He <laughs> <continually> <laughs> impresses no, me. There's no cutaway. It's just there's a guy with a thing in his and face. And it's never explained why Dean Norris has like half like a caterpillar like crawling a, like out of his face. shell. Yeah, it's never. Besides the fact I'm a mutant, He's a mutant. but. Cheap domes, man. Yeah, they're cheap domes. Cheap domes, but why would that specific mutation? I can get the, Not important. the sinking eye of a little girl and, you know. And then he's not psychic for some reason. Asak Schrader just... Hey there. Just, you know, what's up? Well, thank you very much, Miss Bohannon. I also like the film quite a lot. Uh, going way back. I can even recall way back. <laughs> where, can you totally recall it? <laughs> where it was not often in my home that we bought the VHS tape from the store. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we made use of the... HBO or whatever, you know, premium cable television. We'd record the film and then we'd rewatch them over and over and over and over again. As, yes, as one is wont to do. And so this was one of the very first movies that we actually bought. And it was given to me as a Christmas present, it seems like. And I was about 11. Yeah, I was about to say, you're almost exactly, you're just over 10 years older than me, so... Too young. Yeah. A bit too young, yeah, and uh, traumatized, horrified, somewhat. Too Who late. gave you this? I believe it was my father. That but checks I'm out. Moving right, it does check out, does it not? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I, I will say no more about that. But I, I've always loved this movie. I've always been disturbed by the brain bug being pulled out the nostril. Yeah, um, I so cool. Closed eyes. Yeah. So cool. Um, a, a certain, but spe- very specifically fetishistic mutation in Venusville also stuck with me my whole life. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> obviously. <laughs> and uh, so it, it's always been a movie that I've just known very well. And of course, it, it, as I've entered into this sort of career field of film studies, I, I pick up movies more often. And I did pick up the special deluxe edition of this particular film and watched it, watched it with the Arnie and Verhoeven commentary, and it's hilarious. Oh. Used this day on the set, I was very tired. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and I, all, I will, all I want to say is, the experience is great, the movie holds up, I love the special effects, I love how well integrated they are, I love that it won an Academy Award for special effects. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and it's a great movie, it's one of my favorites Bless. of all time. And uh, so I fully give it uh, two regular human thumbs and then two semi-fetal mutant thumbs up as well. I have one question Brilliant. about the commentary. Does Arnold talk about how much he was lifting at that point? I cannot recall any specific uh, weightlifting number. Because I just have to say how good he looks in this movie. <sighs> he's, looking, he's, <laughs> he's looking pretty good. Man's looking fly. Yeah. Here's the thing about Arnold. Every interview he has ever done. Ever. Ever. He talks about weightlifting at least once. Bless you. I approve no, this message. No, which, you know, be what, be into what you're into, man. Yeah. It is fair enough. Well, let's move on and let's do what we do, lady and gentlemen, and let's do a breakdown. Let's do some analysis 
of this film, Total Recall. I do warn you, though, now, dear listener, the spoilers are coming. You're going to find out that, in the end, he was only looking for a sled. And so, uh, we've got to... Uh, Gross. I know. So, Mr. Arthur Gordon, I ask you first, what analysis bring you? Uh, there are a couple of things I want to hit on. Uh, one will lead to the other. Once again, I want to bring up a dirty word, uh, that word being auteurism. And in the case of Paul Verhoeven, we're looking at a modified term that Dustin enjoys uh, called vulgar auteurism, uh, which refers to a director who has those auteur qualities but isn't necessarily an quote-unquote artistic director, Jean-Luc Godard. Whatever, whatever that means. <laughs> Uh, we may put guys like John Carpenter or Wes Craven into this kind of category. These guys who don't make these avant-garde type films and they work within low budgets and they do what they want. And they do their own thing. I think that's kind of where well, the, the, the Paul Verhoeven falls. Um, I think there are certainly markers visible in Verhoeven's work that cements him as a notorious total recall. Uh, we see those elements. The major ones being the uh, satire and the ultraviolence. Uh, this echoes the ultraviolence of Robocop, the satire that's there, and it foreshadows the satire of Starship Troopers. Uh, Verhoeven also is able to make this connection with an audience, and most of his films have become classics, at least at the cult level. This brings us to Total Recall. Whereas Robocop was an attack on consumerism and big business, and Starship Troopers would tackle fascism, Total Recall seems to have some things to say about cinema and spectatorship. Uh, the movie was something of a dream project that came from both Arnie and Verhoeven. Uh, the two wanted to work together, and the script became available, and Arnie and Verhoeven were able to try and get their hands on it. It underwent a few changes, mostly to suit Arnie's strengths. Uh, the main character, <laughs> punny, pun, punny. <laughs> uh, the main character was changed from an accountant to a construction worker, uh, something that suited Arnold. Uh, Verhoeven also removed a lot of the dark humor and satire and introduced his style of ultraviolence, which fills this movie. This is where things take an interesting turn. I think it is where we start to see Verhoeven's interior meaning shining through. Uh, Total Recall features an everyman who gets to live out a machismo dream, wherein he becomes a spy, loves multiple women, and saves the world. While Arnold himself isn't the picture of the everyman, he does play a common Joe, a construction worker who dreams of something more and doesn't feel like he's where he should be. Uh, this is interesting in two ways, as Arnold appeals to the common man. He is the kind of guy that all the men wanted to be like and all the woman, women wanted to be with. Uh, the physique, the intrigue, the Hollywood lifestyle. And likewise, he is portraying a character uh, that the common man can identify with. Uh, the everyman is the kind of crowd to which Verhoeven's uh, work truly appealed, and that's where this reading comes into play, uh, because it seems that Verhoeven is commenting on the common moviegoer and the type of movie they go see. The large plot point of Total Recall are these memory vacations that they sell, which play out sort of like a movie in the mind, except that you're a major character. And to add to the experience, you can even play a character that is nothing like who you really are. Arnie doesn't really swing with this until he learns he could be a spy trying to save the world. And this is what really draws him in and starts to push our story forward. Another interesting point is that we do not see any of Verhoeven's trademark violence until immediately after Arnie goes through the recall process. From that point on, it's guns a-blazing. At this point in the film, Verhoeven has highlighted two key things. The type of audience that goes to his films and what they pay to see. People getting blown up. It's a phenomenon that came following the wake of directors such as Arthur Penn, Bonnie and Clyde, Sam Peckinpah, Straw Dogs, and Don Siegel of, uh... Dirty Harry? Sorry. As each man made his mark, the violence just kept getting heavier and heavier. It was the perfect place for guys like Verhoeven and a young Quentin Tarantino to make their mark. Uh, Verhoeven seemingly supports this type of entertainment, not only because it's the backbone of his films, but because his violent protagonist never faces any true repercussions for his acts. By the end of the film, he saves the world, gets the girl, and rides off into the sunset. Well, maybe. 
Verhoeven has one last trick up his sleeve, and that is leaving us with an ambiguous ending. He leaves his everyman questioning what is real and what is not. And likewise, audiences oftentimes left with ideals and beliefs of reality because of the movies they watch. As a slow-witted cop once asked, Is there a point on a man's head where if you shoot it, it will blow up? And so often most of our beliefs and the truths we think we understand come from film, especially for the everyman who doesn't have the furthered education, or at least care to have that furthered education. That is actually true, though. That, that will happen. Which would teach him otherwise. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. No, that, that does happen. Where's I, that? I, I saw it in a documentary one time. <laughs> the making of Hot Fuzz is not That's a you can, get away, you can get away with saying anything. Oh, I saw it. No, I saw it in a documentary. <laughs> this all becomes part of a piece of the urban legend puzzle, which we discussed in length with Cropsey. Uh, Verhoeven's conversation with Hollywood seems to be in support of these big, loud shoot-em-up films. Uh, the violence for him is a key point, and he seems to truly understand his primary audience, and he re recognizes the catharsis that may come through this ultraviolence, and a catharsis that much of his everyman audience may need to get by in the day. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon, and I think uh, that's a great auteur, vulgar auteur reading of Mr. Verhoeven, and that always makes me happy. So thanks much for that. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Your hands are really soft. Besides that my hands are soft. That was very surprising. Well, Arthur touched on this already. And with his, his equally soft hands, uh, he, he, he discussed the memories. I've got three of them. <laughs> Guys, listen, we're never not having fun on this show. Let me tell you that right now. That's what makes us better than other movie shows and other smart shows that say smart things. We're having fun. And saying smart things, and that's important. Um, Arthur touched on on recall and the idea of of the memory implantation, uh, and I think that's really key to any analysis you do on this film. Call recall for the memory of a lifetime. For the memory of a lifetime, recall, recall, recall. So what I keyed in on when I was thinking about this was a line dialogue from a film that I'm not allowed to talk about, from a director I'm not allowed to talk about. Give, this a, give us a hint for new listeners, or i.e. new hosts of this podcast. Oh my god, that's right, you don't know about this. Well, um, for probably the first two months we did the show, I would bring up David Fincher a lot, because I like him a lot, and he's one of my favorite filmmakers. And Three I would times the show. That's a stretch. But a lot. Uh, <laughs> and so I implanted for myself a rule in place where we called it the Fincher Rule, where I wouldn't talk about David Fincher, just to make myself be more varied in the things I discussed, really more to force myself to talk about other things. Um, but I've been kind of lax on it lately, because I haven't talked about it lately, and I haven't talked about Fight Club lately, which was another one of his films that would come up a lot. Uh, but I thought about a line from there, and it's a line of, of voiceover that Edward Norton does, and he says, if you wake up at another time, in another place, can you wake up as another person? And that's something that's really interesting to me, is, that, is this idea that I think Vera Owen's kind of toying around with, um, is this question of, is there something intrinsic about who you are? Uh, really this kind of interesting sociology versus psychology question. Is there something inherent in your brain and inherent in who you are that will make you do the same things, that will make you make the same choices? And I think what Verhoeven says is no. Not at all. And that requires a little bit of the sociological imagination that we talked about back on um, the Matrix episode. Consider, for one moment, that your life 
is different than the life you've actually lived. Consider if any of the myriad things that led to you being the person you consider yourself to be right now in this moment, consider if one or two major things have been different. Consider if instead of being a spy, you've been a construction worker. And for Arnold, that makes all the difference. He goes from one of the villains of this picture to the hero all through accident. Without Hauser's plan to volunteer to infiltrate the resistance, he's a bad guy. With that plan in motion, it ruins everything. Because the memories that they implant, making him Doug Quaid, turn him into this, you know, working class, nice guy Doug Quaid, who just wants to do right. And help out uh, the little guy. Because they turned him into the little guy. Well, figuratively speaking, for Arnold. The big little guy (laughs) in this case. And that's just something I find very interesting. Is this idea that your memories, these things that we really can't rely on. Because memory is such a, a fuzzy, intangible, ethereal thing that you can never really pin down. Um... And here we see that it really makes all the difference in who Arnold is. Uh, is he Doug Quaid? Is he Cole Hauser? And in this film, we, we find that these new memories make him a different person. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves was, is he an ever a real person? Another, excuse me. The question we have to ask ourselves is, is Doug Quaid a real person at all? Or should I say, is Cole Hauser a real person at all? Or is it all part of this total recall memory banking thing that we experience here and uh, to me that's an interesting question because it leads us to this question of intent versus outcome mm-hmm. which I think is equally as interesting as this question of you know socialization and whether or not the events of your life making you a different person or whether or not there's something intrinsic in your brain that makes you who you are the intent versus outcome thing is equally interesting to me because what we find is that maybe that doesn't matter either. Because if the intent is what's most important, then Arnie proved himself to be just a stand-up guy. Now, if the outcome's the most important thing, he might just be a crazy person who's stuck in a fantasy coma for the rest of his life. But the intent was to save an entire planet. And that's something that I find very interesting. Um, The thing that I love about this that I hate about the Total Recall remake is it gives you some of the hints uh, that maybe this isn't no this is real but it makes them too blatant and not blatant enough in Total Recall 1990 what we get the, the one the standoff between choose whether or not this is real or whether or not this is a lie is the doctor supposedly comes to him to tell him it's all a lie and Arnie sees him sweat and he goes aha I got you boom that could so easily be a figment of his imagination. It's mm-hmm. just one bead of sweat. That and everything he says that will happen does happen. The yes, yeah. So there, everything yeah. he says will happen does happen. The equivalent scene of the tw- of this in the 2012 version is Jessica Biel cries because she's afraid he's going to kill her, and he's like, "Oh, I have to do the right thing now." And that's it's a totally different scene. It changes. It becomes well. Clearly, this is what's really happening. And to me, that's the, these two things that Verhoeven plays with are just so interesting. And again, the, no matter how you tackle this film, I feel like the mechanics of the recall, uh, of recall as a recall, is is just intrinsic to any discussion of this film because it carries so much weight with it. 
Uh, and that's the thing that I love about Paul Verhoeven in general, is he takes these very simple ideas. Uh, in these, I, I, Robocop, Total Recall, and Starship Troopers are kind of of, of, a, of a, a, a grouping. You know, they, they are kind of an unofficial trilogy, I feel like, in that they all take one fairly simple idea and then just put it out there and let you, you let your brain toy with it and take away from it what you will. And what I took away from it was this interesting idea of what makes you who you are? And does it matter if what you do, act, if your intent is pure, does it matter what the outcome actually is? And I'm not saying there's an answer to either of those. Um, I'm just saying they're really interesting questions that we need to wrestle with. And I think Verhoeven, you know, deserves a pat on the back for making a film in which he chose to put those at the forefront. Obviously, the, you know, we got to credit the screenwriter with that as well. But, I mean, a lot of choices get made between a screenplay getting bought and then being put to celluloid. So. Excellent. Thank you very much for that reading of the, just the, the creation of the self, right, or, or the formation of the subject, if you were going to use psychoanalytical terms. You're using psych, um, sociological terms. But it's the same sort of discussion. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely a major cornerstone in what Verhoeven and Arnie are wrestling with there together. Although I don't think I'd want to see Arnie ever wrestle Verhoeven. It would be rather one-sided. It would be a very short wrestling match. It would indeed. But <laughs> let us move on. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what say you, ma'am? Well, I just had some thoughts that kind of co- correlate with what Dalton was talking about. And then I also had some thoughts that no one's talked about so far. And uh, just consider it my analysis, analysis fortune cookie bits for the for the evening. I found it really interesting the director slash set dresser's use of color. I mean, it was probably uh, super obvious, but I wanted to bring it up that mm-hmm. you know red is the constant symbol of power and money, and you know, I mean, to the point where the money is red. I mean, you can't get any more. Blatant, the pill is red, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mars is red. And then when everything's okay, it's blue. The, you know, oxygen mm. escaping to the, to the sky, peace, harmony, beauty, etc. is now instated on Mars. I guess one could argue that you, that he is in reality. I know it's op- up to interpretation, but um, Arnie is in reality because I think well, or you could argue that he's not in reality because of the correlation of all of these colors yeah. over and over and over. But one could use it to justify that he is because it's almost too perfect. Like what he was, what he was saying was that the doctor or Arnold, one of them was saying, it's just such a fancy coincidence. Or was at the very end. I don't know. I Lots think, of people think, yeah. say coincidence yeah. in this movie. I think it was a. Do- I think I know what you're talking about. I think it was a doctor telling right. Arnold. He's like, "It's a coincidence," and he's like, "Well, isn't that a pretty tough coincidence?" Yeah, that that's exactly. What actually happened. Totally. And so that was one just point I wanted to toss out there before I got to my my main bits again about identity. I had two kind of thoughts on it. If I'm not me, who the hell am I? The first of these thoughts was about identity in a kind of religious, spiritual sense. I was going to go from a Buddhist perspective. I've read not an extensive amount of literature on Buddhism, but enough to where I get the gist about their thoughts and takeaways on identity. And, you know, essentially, living without ego... I would argue isn't just the goal of Buddhism, but probably Christianity. Would you say living without ego? I mean, you're the selflessness. I selflessness think is a, is a would be probably both, yeah. the 
probably the correlate between the both both major philosophies. And for for the Buddhist, in one you know kind of Buddhism for Dummies book that I've read, is they said that the death of the self is really just the only way you can reach enlightenment. This kind of detachment of the ego is the only way that one can truly experience life as it is. Now, I would like to ask the question, what is what happens to Hauser and Quaid, but I would say the death of his ego? He goes from, I mean... Yeah, 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 okay, I gotcha. Right. Hauser is this guy who's probably rolling in money, drives a space Mercedes, etc. He's a huge douchebag, but then he purposefully, you know, he divorces himself. He... <laughs> sorry, I just started thinking of that divorce quote again. Uh, so <laughs> you know, it's no, fantastic. Drugs. Okay, sorry. And that kind of leads me to my second kind of thought on identity, is the concept of personhood. And personhood is an interesting topic. I mean, obviously, there's the you know, all the political stuff surrounding personhood. But I feel like there's a lot of interesting commentary on what personhood means in this film. The first, we have, you know, two entities struggling over one body. We have Cole and Doug are fighting over the same body. And who is the real owner of this body now that there are kind of two identities associated with it? One that's in the past and one that's in in the present and in the now. But well, he says something along those lines. He says, be careful when you're pulling out the bug, right? Because it's my head too. Right, right, exactly. So who exactly owns this body? Which also draws me to Quattro. Quattro is the prime example of personhood in this <laughs> film. I mean, to the point where there's a half... Mutant yeah, like, baby fetus. No, Quattro's a mutant. He's going to upset you. Yeah, sticking <laughs> out of his stomach. This is going to be upsetting. Right. <laughs> I mean, and only for some reason, only one can have total control over mm-hmm. this this one form at one time. I don't know if it's a blood flow thing because one has to work their brain. <laughs> like, oh, I gotta divert the, the blood back to the brain, the main brain, or down to the other brain. <laughs> that has got many meanings and many layers. The baby's brain in his stomach. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. He's got pregnancy uh, brain. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. (laughs) But it's interesting to compare these two perspectives because you have, you know, Doug and Hauser fighting over one body, and then you have Quattro and Quattro's host, whose name I can't remember, who's the guy in Starship Troopers. Yeah, the the upset general. Yeah, the upset general. They brains out, yeah. Yeah. But they're working in harmony with the same body, which this can be an interesting... I don't know if anybody has ever pointed this. I've never heard anybody point this out, but it's really they're yeah, they're really interesting analogs to each other. Yeah. Like, of mm-hmm. this shared body and it's one I've heard of it. one working in one pair working in harmony and the other actively trying to kill the other. I mean forgive me if I'm taking this too far, dear listener, but this could definitely be an analog for I mean carrying a pregnancy. You know, you have Cole 
and you have Doug, mm-hmm. and then Cole is actively trying to destroy Doug, and Doug doesn't want to be destroyed. He's actively trying to destroy Hauser right back, yeah. Right, which, that would be, that's a little extreme for pregnancy comparison. Yeah, there's a lot of places you can go with it, I think it's just an interesting idea of the, right. the two pairs. Man. Yeah. And then the and then Quattro as a unit, the fact they only have one name is interesting as well. They exist in a total harmonious Yeah. Circuit. They, have, they, have, they, have, they call the other guy Quattro or Oh uh, it's no. Quattro, not Quattro. I wasn't gonna correct you. You're fine. Yeah, nobody like, cares. Nobody cares. Yeah. Um, if people, hey, if you care, if you've been sitting there in your chair going <laughs> Stop. Will actually stop. Go home. Go girl. go back to work. He's pushing his glasses up his nose at you. By the way, what were you were saying? Something though, Dustin? Does, oh, I was asking you. Does uh, Quado's homie? Does he have a name? Not that I'm aware of. No. I don't think so either. Yeah, I think they share that name. Yeah. So that's a, it's a really interesting concept to to think about. Is what does at what point when you have two entities sharing one body? That what point is one a human? What point is one a person? And what point is one separate from mm. the other? Yeah, and, oh, and a bodily anatomy, uh, bodily autonomy. Well, and it wraps back around to the other the question. I mean, to the beginning of what you're saying about you dying to your own ego and accepting that you know that there's something bigger to deal with. Uh, and I think we have the two pairs at different ends of the spectrum on that as well. So I think that's a, a really interesting take on it. Thank you very much, Miss Bohannon. Uh, I think that's some great uh, thoughts and analysis on identity and personhood. And uh, this movie, again, it's it's got a lot going on on the inside. What I want to talk about... Not the least of which being Johnny Cabs. I mean, God. Johnny Cabs. Oh, we haven't even talked about those. Ugh, Uncanny Valley. I, I need me a Johnny Cab because uh, I don't want to drive. That would be great. I would not want one talking. <laughs> was he supposed to look like Don Knotts? A little bit, I think. I think so. Because he does. I Is saw that... Was that was th- th- no. that was all animatronics, yeah, I, right? I, I saw the making of it. They built it. Yeah, Ugh, it's a very upsetting face. <laughs> and then whenever he didn't give him the money, he tried to run over him. <laughs> that was hilarious. Very efficient system for fair collection. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you enjoyed your ride. <laughs> the analysis I would want to bring to this is Paul Verhoeven is quite famous for having been a member of uh, the Dutch Surrealist group. And uh, one of the things, you know, uh, also that he has a PhD in mathematics. Wow. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, that's what I said. He has a PhD in math. Dr. Verhoeven. Doctor to you, buddy. Paul Verhoeven. When did he, what? I read that in the production notes on the disc I want to read his memoirs now. He seems interesting. But uh, surrealism itself is what I want to talk about in terms of the film, in terms of is your whole life a dream, Quaid? Is it all a dream? You better kiss me quick before you wake up. And all this sort of fantasy fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And in terms of that, though, I have to talk a little bit about what the Surrealists were about. Now, ordinarily, when we start talking about the Surrealists or Surrealist art, that means weird, and we have some of that. There's definitely weird. Quato is weird. Benny and his weird E.T. finger hand is really very bizarre. I have to say, that was some great special effects. Oh I was yeah. so impressed. Benny's, Benny's arm awesome. thing is yeah, really cool looking. And, and all of that is, is just outstanding stuff. It, it, and it's really strange and weird, and it's playing with this what's reality and not reality. And, and, and usually that's the basic level we go to when we start talking about surrealism in cinema and art. And 
what I want to say is I want to go a little bit deeper and talk about what surrealism uh, was attempting to achieve was that they were attempting to mine their dreams as reality, that, that dreams really were real, genuine experiences, that there wasn't reality, and then there was some sort of dream world, but that both worlds had a reality and a substantial substance to themselves. And as a result, if you understood yourself via dreams, you mind your own unconscious, you could unhinge and knock loose your revolutionary impulse. You could actually make society a better place. And so the Surrealists were also political activists mm. as a result. And of course there is a political activist uh, bit of, uh, of, of storyline working, and then there's this evil corporation run by Cohadian, and, and they're building cheap domes and mm-hmm. taking away the people's air you know I think I think about the taxation on water that happened about 10 years after this in Chile and uh, that you couldn't collect rainwater any longer it was against the law you had to buy the water from the city in order to even get water and it's a very great parallel to the sort of uh, political uh, dystopia anticipated by Verhoeven's Total Recall and, and what the surrealists would say is that you, you mine into your desires, and that's what they found in the unconscious. And so much of surrealist art is about desire and the, you know, the, the woman as object, either as the virgin or the whore or some sort of combination of both. And, and so desire is, is, is a major part of what's going on. But the surrealists weren't guys who just liked girls, okay? They well, not all of them like girls. For one thing, for a second, That's exactly what my first thought was. But I mean, well, overall, the art, yeah, is I definitely you, I a heteronormative. I'm picking up what you're putting down, though. But beyond that, it wasn't just about desire. Is that if you would actually tap into desire, you would find out you have greater desires beneath those desires, beyond just the the basic physical need for love and for sex and you know that sort of human connection. That you have this desire for a better life and a better world, and that you have these sort of revolutionary anarchic impulses tied up inside yourself. Now, I don't know if we want to rather read Total Recall as the dream or as the reality. I tend to read it as the dream. Mm-hmm. I tend to read it as just that construction and that the big white fade out with the sunlight is his lobotomy taking place. And that's the oh. end of it. And that's just <laughs> that's the way I read it. I'm sorry. I made everyone very sad. <laughs> I regret that. <laughs> Man, I've always read it. I just always read it as reality. I don't know if that means I, I'm just a sucker for good movies. The way you said it was sad. No, I totally think it was probably a dream, too. Yeah, and they lobotomize it. In the end, you'll be lobotomized. Everything he says happens. I, I think I think it was a figurative lobotomization. I didn't think of it as a literal one, but uh, that's what I did. Wow! So and I'm, I'm a cheerful to keep him from murdering people. Yeah, I'm a cheerful cat. But I'm moving on now. The, the point <laughs> is the, the the revolutionary intent of this, and so Quaid is he he's got a beautiful wife who loves him, who like throws herself at him in sort of an unrealistic fashion. You know that little kissy face thing that happened just as he woke up from his nightmare. That didn't happen because morning breath be something real, y'all. I'm just saying that does not happen. But I'm moving on. The the point is is that he he wants to be desired, but he also wants to fight. But he wants to be again sort of the superhero. He wants to be the person that everyone's looking up for and recognizes. And of course, the superhero that he becomes on his ego trip is one that is proletarian worker resisting the corporate elite that are trying to hold everyone down. They're taking away the people's air, and and so that's the sort of vision for this, and it is this sort of uprising, it is this sort of people's movement, it is this it is this moment in which not only is their desire being uh, uh, raised 
up in Doug's dream, you know. I mean, and he's not just getting that, you know, who's athletic, demure, and sleazy. He's, he's getting exactly what he wants, but it turns out he wants a bit more than that. He risks her and his own life because he wants the world to be a better place. I was he wants just thinking, freedom. you know what Doug is? He's a construction worker. You know what construction workers use, right? Hammers. Hammers, right. All we need is a farmer now and a scythe, and we're pretty much there. And that's sort of what's going on. It, it is that, that same sort of uprising. And I think that's really using that surrealist sort of critique of fascism, and the surrealists were always very, very critical of fascism, and I think Verhoeven's placing that. And also this use of dream and of fantasy, that if you explore dream, of course, you're going to get into just desire sort of things, and a, a woman who looks much like a Picasso, and uh, that sort of thing. That's all going to happen. You know who I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, th that's all going to occur, and so there's all that sort of fascistic desire that's being played out. But underneath that and beyond that, there's a greater desire to, uh, to have a, a oneness with nature that is hostile. That's uh, Mars and the, the environment that's being um, destroyed there. Gotcha. And also to, again, give people the basic human rights they need in order to survive. And so what the Surrealists are doing is they're exploring that realm of unconscious desire for the sake of changing the world. I want to read shortly from Breton, Andre Breton, founder, godfather, and sometimes pope of the Surrealist movement. He writes in the first Surrealist Manifesto, Surrealism, as I conceive of it, asserts our complete nonconformism clearly enough so that there can be no question of translating a trial of the real world as an evidence for defense. He skips and gives some examples here, but I want to I want to move on. He says, This world is only very relatively in tune with thought, and incidents of this kind, surrealist experiences, are only the most obvious episodes of a war of which I am proud of participating. Surrealism is the invisible ray which will one day enable us to win out over our opponents. And what I want to suggest is that what Verhoeven is doing is he's making a film very much in the surrealist uh, spirit. Now, it's not a surrealist film. It's not automatic. It's planned. It's got a scriptwriter. It's got CGI and matting and all those sort of things going on in it. But thematically, philosophically, what's going on is this idea of these multiple realities and that there actually is a more real reality. And if we could tap into that instead of just allowing the recall machine to dose us, if, if we could actually tap into that real unconscious self and explore what desires may be down there we might actually come back up and out of that and be willing to say you know what the way things are right now shouldn't be that way and a little spirit of nonconformism may raise up and so good on you Mr. Verhoeven for doing this and uh, check out some surrealism read you some Breton it's good for you and uh, the final thing I would say is this is I would recommend Slavoj Zizek's The Year of Dreaming Dangerously he's making the same sort of connection is that dream dangerously uh, dare to think that other things are possible not only the possibilities but again what we actually really want as human beings and it turns out different is oftentimes what we want. And uh, go therefore and make it better. So that's all I got to say about that. I thank you all, my fellow co-hosts, for a great bit of analysis on this really, really solid movie. But we come now to a point. You must choose. But choose wisely. That's right. We must choose shelf or trash, else or instead. I ask you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? You know, I used to have this on DVD, 
when I was first collecting movies. Uh, but I lost it. Some weird things happened. Uh, so I actually uh, just put it on the shelf for the second time. And so, you know, definitely put it there. I think it's worth it, especially if you can find it for four bucks. Special edition DVD with the Verhoeven uh, Schwarzenegger commentary. Pick it up. It's not. It's it's totally worth it. Um, I think you watch this obviously with a lot of early '80s, '90s Arnie stuff. Um, specifically, I'm thinking T2. I think this conversation about violence is interesting dichotomy between the two. What's funny is we've done an episode over T2, and not once I think did anybody go. And I think it's because he doesn't talk very much in T2. <laughs> he so plays a robot. He plays a robot. <laughs> And in this, he plays a real person, or as close to one as Arnold can approximate. Clever girl. Oh, I was so happy to know that 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 line is predated about six years earlier than we we thought it was. Mm -hmm. So happy. Oh, yeah. Makes me happy. Someone's a Verhoeven fan. Uh, I also think this pairs well with The Truman Show, uh, because the whole, we know who you are, but you don't know who you are, uh, conspiracy type thing that happens, Mm -hmm. and I, I like that. So, there you go. Excellent pick. I appreciate that very much. Miss Bohannon, what say you? Show for trash, else, or instead? I have to say, this is one of the first films in my short tenure on this podcast that I can say with 100% sureness that I would slap this on my shelf any given day of the week. And not just the virtual shelf, the real shelf. I'm considering, I really want to go and buy that director's cut special edition, what have you, so I can hear that commentary. I think it'd just be brilliant. and love to watch this movie again, especially in light of the analysis, and especially in light of knowing more things about it. That would be great. Um, so, if you would like to pair this movie with some others for a potential movie night, I was thinking 2010's Inception. I think that's a pretty got the dreams, you got the confusion, what's real, what's not. Then you have the, the ending where you don't know what's real and what's the dream. What is dream? I don't know. <sighs> anyway, I would also say perhaps if you're feeling, I don't know, not wanting to watch such a great movie, uh, Oblivion with Tom Cruise. <clears throat> it's, <laughs> you've got more confusion as to what's real, what's reality, plus sci-fi and things from outer space. And then finally, I think my last recommendation is to compliment the, quote, ultra-violence, A Clockwork Orange. Just nice. just because there's that motif running the whole way through, and I think that it would pair well with the rest of the films and this film. So, there you go. Excellent. Thank you much, Miss Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Shelf. And as we've covered, that's kind of a misnomer because I'm not going to buy anything. But if you <laughs> like to buy movies, you should buy this one. Because why would you not want to watch Total Recall? I mean, come on. Just do it. Um, If you want some more Paul Verhoeven deliciousness, just watch Starship Troopers immediately. I did that more for other planets and such. Uh, But you could do Robocop. Either way. You know, pick your poison. Depends what kind of mood you're in. You want large-scale violence or personal violence? You want uh, alien violence or uh, robot violence? Uh, So good. So good. Um, I actually would recommend you pair this with a Christopher Nolan film as well, but I'm going to suggest you check out, uh, you pair it with Memento, because it uh, deals with a lot of the fallibility of memory and memory's ability to shape your convictions and the way we lie to ourselves by telling ourselves we remember things different, by allowing ourselves to remember things differently than they actually happen. So check out Memento, which also deals with a lot of these questions of 
obviously Christopher Nolan has some things he likes to explore uh, that deal with these ideas of what is real and it doesn't matter if it's real, if it feels real to you. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Uh, I'm going to say the same thing. Shelf, sorry, on my shelf. I love the movie. I mean, it's my host pick, so naturally... It's a movie I like very, very much. I'm going to recommend a David Lynch film. Uh, I'm going to recommend Lost Highway. And there's a line in Lost Highway. The other one's Justin Theroux? Uh, yes. No, Justin Theroux is not in this. This is Bill Pullman mm. and uh, Balthazar Getty okay. are, are the two actors in that. And uh, Bill Pullman's character at one point says, I don't like to record things. I like it better the way I remember them. And so it is an interesting good interrogation of memory and of madness and all of that going on in there. I'm also going to mention Blade Runner because Blade Runner because you should. I agree with Bo, with the Bohannon's pick of, of Inception. I think it's definitely um, something that pairs very well, and I think The Matrix actually has a lot of the same things to say. Red pill, blue pill. I thought about it, and there is a red pill, and I think that choice is um, intentional there uh, for them. So and I there's was, some ultra violence, a little bit, not nearly as much as this movie though. Mm, no, it was not nearly as bloody ultra violence. God no. And uh, I find that to be uh, something I like anyway. I like my violence to be very scary and horrifying. That way I don't want to do it. And I think that's a good thing when violence is that way. It's scary when bullets just make you sleepy. A smart person um, in the documentary, uh, this film was not yet rated, uh, made a comment that they thought uh, James Bondy type violence should be PG-13. And um, should be R. And then the R violence should be PG-13. Right, because you're more, more mature There's more to handle it. To, yeah, you're mature enough to handle the sleepy, fun violence. To know that it's not really that way. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. But anyway, uh, those are great picks, dear listener. You've got some homework to be doing now uh, because of that. But let's go ahead and move on a little further in our show to feedback. I'll begin first with Mr. Dalton Stewart. What feedback or social media me- method do you know anything about? How the stranger? How the... Things have gone wrong. I'm talking to myself, and you don't have a wet towel around your head. <laughs> now, whatever your name is, get ready for the big surprise. You are not you. You are me. Come on, don't bullshit me. Now my life, I worked for Mars Intelligence. The Coagans daddy work. Then I met someone, a woman. She taught me a few things, like I was playing for the wrong team. Gagum. All we can do now is make up for it. You see, there's enough shit in here to fuck Kohagen good. But if you're hearing this, it means he's got to be first. Now, here comes the hard part, old buddy. Now, what's all up to you? This is the plan. Get your ass to Twitter. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the good trash genre cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Yeah, that just happened. Do we have any feedback coming in from the Twitter? We certainly do. Oh, would you like to hear it? I would like to hear it all. Well, I guess I can do that. Um, as per usual, Dustin... That's you. As per usual, Brigham Cole uh, gave us some fun links. Uh, one was, I liked it better when it was called Army of Darkness um, and Oz of Darkness. Just just go look it up. I, I retweeted the link. Fun stuff. Um, he also uh, shared with Dustin, uh, if you're sharing experience, spiritual experiences through music, like Dustin. Here's one of Brigham's as late. Uh, and it was a link to um, a, one of uh, to The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway by Genesis. I gave it a listen. It's good stuff. Yeah. So, check that out. Brigham, always doing good stuff there. Um, I also put out a little bait 
through the uh, Good Trash Genre Cast Twitter and just said, <laughs> hey, here's do a quick poll. What are some movies you want discussed on the show? Best suggestion gets a nickel and maybe an episode over their pick. I didn't really expect anybody to bite. Uh, we got a bite from Kenny Madison. That's at my magic lesson on Twitter. Uh, those of you who are fans of Nick Sanford's Elusive might remember him as Sheila, the Bigfoot enthusiast. I do remember him as Sheila. Yeah. Uh, Kenny's a very funny uh, uh, improviser. Um, very funny guy. And he suggested About Time, unbelievably good movie that's criminally underrated. That is the film starring um, Donald Gleason, uh, Brendan Gleason's son, and Rachel McAdams, the uh, romantic uh, drama time about time travel. I don't know if he's kidding or not. I don't either. Because he's that kind of guy. I'm going to assume he's being genuine, though, because I've heard good things about that flick. We're going to put it on list that we think about. Guys, we got more feedback. And it's the feedback I've been waiting a lifetime for. Guess who it's from? I don't know. Do tell. Caleb Besley. Oh, he's yeah. back. He's back. Uh, first of all, he said, listening to the Death Proof show, you guys are crazy for playing Baby Come Back. But guess what? I'm back, baby. I'm back. <laughs> you might remember, listener, that on the Death Proof show, me and Arthur were really sad and started singing, and then Dustin actually played a little Baby Come Back, and that's all it took. Uh, and then he asked, is that Edge of Tomorrow a biopic of Sean Bean's life? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Caleb Vesley. I like it. That's at K-Lub-Vesley on the Twitter. Back in, in good fashion. And that is all the feedback we have this week. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what feedback have you to share from another means of social media? Tell us about all of that. Uh, you could first and foremost email us goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com uh, you can also find us on facebook facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast one word uh, we do have a bit of feedback coming in from that medium of social media uh, on the game of people who we'd hate to face in the hunger games uh, Brigham Cole says he'd fear being pitted against, against Ash Williams uh, the man would pull no punches and he's been through hell enough well, that and one punch with the machine, with the, with the chainsaw yeah. in the hand, it's just bad. The chainsaw hand, the machine gun leg, you're in some trouble in that game. I'm out. Uh, he says he also wouldn't want to be up against John Rambo. He says the name changes you. <laughs> uh, he says bonus TV picks Daryl Dixon and the governor from AMC's The Walking Dead, uh, self evident reasons. Uh, Keegan Parrish chimes in saying Captain Steve Rogers uh, would be a formidable opponent even without a shield. Uh, Maximus Decimus Meridius already squared off in one Coliseum in Gladiator. And he says the lethal weapon Martin Riggs uh, would certainly pack enough crazy to do well in the games. That, he'd get you with three stooges, whoop, whoop, whoop. Every time. Then I asked, I put out a feeler if anybody had seen Guardians of the Galaxy and give us a review. Caleb Masters said that uh, Marvel successfully lands their most exciting and unexpected movie to date and delivers the best Star Wars film since Return of the Jedi. And then Caleb also issued a uh, Facebook public apology uh, saying that he would like to publicly apologize to the man, uh, the legend Arthur Gordon, uh, for sidestepping his undergrad graduate degree in English. I had naturally assumed your teaching of undergrad English classes only meant uh, you had a physics degree. You were wrong. Yeah, it turns out um, Arthur's totally justified and credentialed in the field in which he practices. So, there you go. Good to know. Is there any more feedback coming in from Facebook? Well, that's all the feedback I have from Facebook, but I think there may be more. There is one additional thing. We have a message, and Miss Bohannon is going to read that. There might be one more additional thing, and that's what I'm about to read to you. This is from listener Yin Fang. 
I apologize if I butchered your last name, but I've given it my top attempt. He writes, Just wanted to say thanks and keep up the good work. Smiley face. I stumbled upon your podcast when I was doing a search on iTunes for reviews of Pontypool, that extra listener from Montreal, Quebec, that's me. It was your analysis and banter that kept me listening, and while I've always been a fan of horror, it's totally worthwhile hearing your coverage on other genres, not some not so trashy like the excellent art of killing. Incidentally, I've returned to my home country, Singapore, a country so small it's represented by a dot, like seriously, on the world map, sandwiched between Indonesia and Malaysia. In spite of our Asian racial makeup, mainly of Chinese, Malays, and Indians, our first language is English, as if we were founded under British colonial rule. There you go. The Don't answer to your question. The, the answer to my, my several weeks in a row question. I finally know what they speak in Singapore, and as it turns <laughs> out, I do speak it. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you, you. Wired Magazine called our country Disneyland with a capital punishment. Lol. Anyways, <laughs> enough of my rambling. You guys are awesome and looking forward to more enlightening episodes. Cheers, Yen. That was the best thing I've ever read. Very encouraging. Um, Thank you very much, Yen. Because, spoiler alert, listeners, most of the feedback comes from people we know or, like, hung out with. I don't know Yen because I've never been to Montreal, and I've also never been to Singapore. That's why he doesn't know what they speak there. Yes. And also I'm lazy and dumb and an American. Um, But, man, that just warmed the cockles of my heart. That was really cool. Mm -hmm. Thanks, man. I appreciate you writing in. And now we've slowly started to unravel the mystery of our international listenership, which I'm endlessly curious about. Hey, we know you're listening in Germany quite often lately. We know you're listening in Great Britain. We know you're also listening quite often from France, and we'd like to hear that in Maryland, which is... (laughs) That's right. The NSA works for us sometimes. And so we would like to hear what's going on uh, with all of who you are, how you found the show. We don't have to necessarily read it online or rather on the show. We'll read it if you want us to. We won't if you don't. It doesn't matter. So that's that's what we want to do. Well, we do have a five-star review uh, on iTunes. I, um, and... but generally, there's a comment that our sound leveling needs working, and thank you for pointing that out. And I would just say this: we're not professionals. We do this for free. We're making. You it want up better so sound on. leveling? Give us a soundboard. I know. But thanks for the five stars. Thanks for the five stars. But they say you won't find another podcast like this anywhere. Keep it up. And the title of the five star review is "Crackling Analysis." So thank you, the giant squid. Thanks, uh, giant squid. We really, really appreciate that bit of review. Of course, you can find the show at Podbean. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher Internet Radio. And finally, we're also on the Tumblr, and uh, you can tumble right along with us there. But guys, the show is running really long, and you know what? I realize now, it's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! This week's game, dear listener, we're going to recall. We are going to take a vacation, and we are going to select the trip and package that we would like to have. And so that's this week's game. That's right. Movie Total Recall Vacations, brought to you by Total Recall. Total Recall. We can remember it for you wholesale. Way to go with the Philip K. Dick reference, sir. He does need to be uttered somewhere in this show. And so, that's the game. We're going to pick a vacation or two that we would like to go on. I ask you, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? Um, First and foremost, I would want to go to Jurassic Park uh, because I love dinosaurs and I would love to go hang out uh, with Mr. Malcolm 
but preferably before things go to squat. That's probably a good call, because the Pirates of the Caribbean, when they break down, the Pirates Listen, don't eat the tourists. Precisely. Uh, secondly, I would love to go to Bricksburg of the Lego movie. Yeah. Uh, this is a child's wildest dream come true, uh, where almost anything is possible, and I think it would be a lot of fun to just run around with Legos and do whatever I wanted, and build whatever I wanted. I mean, everything is Because everything is awesome! Everything is awesome! Everything is cool when you're part of a team! Everything is awesome! <laughs> you know what? I'm living the dream, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Arthur. Do you have any other picks? Nope. Oh, those are great. I appreciate them very much. Miss Alexandra <laughs> Bohannon, what are your selections? Well, I mean, any dear listener of this podcast, or anybody that knows me in general, would know that I would just want to be the savior of wizard kind. <coughs> Nerd! So, yes, I would love to be transported to Hogwarts. I wouldn't need to even need to be Harriet Potter. I could be just Hermione... <laughs> Hell, I'd even take, like, random wizard to the right in the Great Hall scene in the first wizard movie. Wizard number four. <laughs> exactly. I could, you know, just something like that. But then, thinking about this vacation package, package issue, I then started thinking philosophically that I would just wake up from this and have all these memories, but then I would know that they weren't real and that I could only just relive them in my mind. And that would make me so depressed that I don't know if it's worth it. Like, going to a place where there's magic and everything that I want in my life, and then coming back to reality, I don't know if I can bear Well, you'd have to have skip to an embolism and get lobotomized. It's the only way you can be oh, happy. Oh, there you go. Problem solved. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Thank you for that pick, Miss Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what's your selection? Well, my first pick is Casino Royale. And I got four words <laughs> to justify why. Parkour and Ava Green. <laughs> That's it. Fair enough. Uh, my other pick is The Wolf of Wall Street. Really? <laughs> because I'm not that kind of person, but I want I want to take it for a spin. <laughs> right. I just I want to do a bunch of loots and play beer pong on a pool table with whiskey instead of beer. It's just and break baseball bats in boardrooms. Just absolute insanity. That movie is bonkers. It is bonkers. It's so crazy. Uh, I, I, had a, I took him off into the woods and I just opened the door. I just opened the door and said, you're free. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, the movie is absolute craziness. Uh, we talked about that movie a lot last year. We really mm. did. Oh my gosh. And I'm, you know, uh, the rest of my picks are just other generic hero fantasies. Obviously, I want to go with Star Wars. So I can't, you know, chastise Alex too much. Um, I want to be the man with no name. I want to be Neo. All of these things. Mostly because I want to know Kung Fu. Uh, and um, probably an Arnie movie or two. Predator. Obviously. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously. And then, you know, just, I don't know, maybe the, what's the Mark Wahlberg movie? Almost Famous. Oh, I was, no, that's, that's a different movie. I was trying to give like Mike. <laughs> Uh, really, any Mark Wahlberg movie? Magic Mike, not like Mike. Is he's that not, the one? He's not in that. What's the one with him having the you oh, know Boogie Nights? Nights. Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. The cameo no. of a special place of him no, at the end. No, no. Dirk Diggler had a sad, sad life. It's true. A sad life. Guys, I just want to total recall all the movies into my brain. 
all, all the movies. movies. Dustin, what are some of your picks, bud? <laughs> well, I'm going to also echo Star Wars. I would love, love, love to live that universe, yep. that world out. Don't care. It's Jedi, Bounty Hunter, Jabba, I, don't care. Fine. Well, Jedi only. I mean, that's the package I want. I want the Jedi package. I don't no, think the Bounty Hunter package. I, I, I'm not interested in Bounty Hunters. <laughs> I want to go to Jedi. That's what I would say. I want and, to go to there. <laughs> I want to go to there. And that's that's exactly what I'd pick. I also would pick Middle Earth. I want to go live out Lord of the Rings <laughs> stuff. Again, nerd. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien is my blood. and uh, It's okay. Live stuff. the dream, my <laughs> brother. My friend, my friend once sent me a meme, and it was uh, the difference between Lord of the Rings fans, Harry Potter fans, and Game of Thrones fans is, I want to go to Middle Earth. I want to go to Hogwarts. No, I'm good. No. <laughs> fans that want to go to Westeros. No yeah. one wants to live there. No. no. It's a terrible place. And then likewise, in a related sense, I also would love to go to Narnia. So if I could have a trip where I go to the wardrobe and come back, and I think that might solve part of Alexander's problem, is that you, you know that it's another place. It's another place, and that you had the adventure in the other place, and you may or may not ever get called back into Narnia. And so that's the adventure. You lived it, and it's done. Well, see, that's why I want to go to the Matrix, because you're getting... You're dreaming the memory that your whole life was a dream, <laughs> right? And at the real, it's just it's just totally Ooh. like it's oh man, it's a snake eating its own tail. You get lobotomized. Your brain explodes. That That's story. why yes. you make the Keanu Reeves face the whole time. Whoa. You're so confused. Neutral mask, bro. Right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, that was great stuff, uh, dear co-host, dear listener. What Total Recall cinematic vacations would you like to take? We would love to hear more about all of that. But let's move on and let's complete the show with the thing that we always complete it with. What's got us fired up this week in pop culture? How about a little fire, Scarecrow? In this section, it'll be ladies first. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what are you fired up about this week? Well, chaps and listeners at home, I'm fired up about particularly two things. And the first, I can't believe I'm actually mentioning on this show. I watched a trailer recently. You didn't watch Fifty Shades of Grey again? Not again. I didn't want stomach cramps. No, I watched a trailer recently. And it was a trailer I did not expect to see. Because it was about a certain man who lives in a pineapple under the sea. Oh, oh God. I did hear about this. Yes, yes. SpongeBob SquarePants in a new movie, live action. Now, so crazy. it's so crazy. You just have to watch the trailer. I have to admit that I know too many SpongeBob quotes for my own sanity. That was my cartoon when I was growing up. I feel like it made our generation better because it has some really It has some weird, great humor. Some weird, bizarre, surreal humor that is yes. just fantastic. Uh, the early years, but I don't want to dweeb out about Spongebob. So, yes, Spongebob Squarepants new movie. Watch the trailer. It's definitely a cool ride. And second, dear listener, I would like to say that the thing I'm fired about pop culture is tomorrow night. We're going to the movies. That's right. That's on August 5th, 7 o'clock p.m. Go ahead. Raiders of the Lost Ark in theaters. So, and just in case you're wondering um, what Raiders of the Lost Ark is about. The Lost Ark. Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant, the chest the Hebrews used to carry around the Ten Commandments. What do you mean the Ten Commandments? You're talking about the Ten Commandments? Yes, the actual Ten Commandments, the original stone tablets that Moses brought down out of Mount Harab and smashed, if you believe in that sort of thing. Any of you guys ever go to Sunday school? 
dear listener, Raiders of the Lost Ark is my hosty pick for August. It just falls that we can all watch it together and share our sense of communal nerddom. Indiana Jones, I think, was my first love, and he will always mm. have that special place in my heart. Mm. Just Harrison Ford, he's he's just a classic man, and mm. I want you to see this movie with us. Be a man, crack your whip, grab your hat, and let's go on an adventure. Thank you We've very much. We've got a lot to take this week, so we can get one more plug for it, so please go do that with us. Yeah. If you're listening to this after August the 6th or August the 4th or August the 5th at 7 p.m., then sorry, you can't time travel. Nope, it doesn't happen at all, and I think, Alexander, you did much better in your initial crushes. Mine was Melina. So... From yeah. Mortal Kombat? From Total Recall. Oh, okay. Where have you been sorry. all night? Sorry. Checked out for a second. I'm back. Well, anyway, now that we're back, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us what you're fired about this week in Dolphin uh, I am fired up about things and things and stuff. Um, there's this doc that came out last year uh, about Kathleen Hanna, the lead singer of Bikini Kill and uh, La Tigre, um, called The Punk Singer, that I really wanted to see when uh, it first came out. It was here uh, at the Oklahoma City Art Museum for a little bit, and I missed it. And it's streaming on Netflix now, and it's just a really awesome... Um, documentary about Kathleen Hanna and her, her work with Bikini Kill and her work, you know, just her professional career and her, her personal struggles and her activism. And it's just a really solid documentary. And if you're interested uh, in punk rock at all, or more particularly the, the movement in the early 90s that was uh, the, the Riot Girl, that's Riot Girl with Lots like four R's. Uh, if you're interested in that, check it out because it's good stuff. So that's The Punk Singer, streaming now on Netflix. Uh, last but not least, uh, Film Spotting, which is a podcast that is really, uh, at least to me, uh, as one-fourth of the hosts here, uh, has been really influential uh, into the kind of show that I want to do and, you know, the professionalism and the, and the seriousness uh, of, you know, how we feel about film, the love of film. Um, you know, a really huge inspiration to me, at least. Uh, they just celebrated their 500th episode that's right, the show's been going for nine years now. Wow. They celebrated with a live show um, where they covered, you know, your favorite films of the era, that, that nine years they've been on the air. Uh, they had a Skype in with Ryan Johnson, who was going to try to be there live, because they championed his film Break when it first came out, and he's actually been on the show several times. Obviously, he's a little bit more busy now. They Skyped him into their live show, and it's just, it was a really great episode. Uh, if you have never listened to Film Spotting, it probably isn't a great episode to jump in on, but, um, you know, if you are, lis- if you ever were a listener and took a break, now would be a good time to get back in. Uh, and if anything, this is just a shout out for Film Spotting, so you should check that out, because it's a great podcast. Um, that's, I think, syndicated uh, on um, Chicago's NPR affiliate, too. I believe so. So... Good show. You guys should do that. And that's what I'm fired up about this week in popular culture. Well, thank you, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up? Yeah, it's a slow summer. <clears throat> uh, the first thing, this week, by the time, well, no, by the time you've heard this, it still won't have come out, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Trolls comes out this weekend. Oh, that's right. And hopefully I'll get to see that, because that is my childhood. And hopefully it's not butchered too terribly and made into turtle soup. 
Oh, nice joke. But uh, here we are. I'll always have a soft spot for those turtles. Anyway, the other thing I'm fired up about, and more importantly, is Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Which was a blast, and probably one of the best movies I've seen this year. Which is saying a lot, because I've only seen like ten. <laughs> and so, uh, there's that. But uh, it was it was a blast, and it's definitely one of those movies that has heart. Uh, James Gunn does a great job. We've got a great cast. Chris Pratt's phenomenal. Um, and so, definitely go check it out if you haven't. It's you know it, Arthur it made me realize that I don't think I'm capable of being objective with these Marvel films at this point. I really don't think I can be because I, I mean I recognize when they're bad. Yeah. But in terms of just like like Iron Man two, I look at that and I'm like yeah, it's not very good. Movie. Yeah. But in terms of like the just okay ones, to, okay Thor two, I'm look watch that and I'm like ugh. But the the ones that kind of transcend just being okay to the excellent ones, I can't distinguish because yeah. I just like them all so much. They make me happy. Winter Soldier, yeah. Avengers, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. Take a pick. Just happiness. Yeah. They're fun. And I got this really fun little pin of Rocket. Oh, cool. And my wife got a pin of Groot. And it was fun. Oh, outstanding. It was great. And it, it made $95 million at the box office. Highest August opening ever. Really? Yep. Beat wow. Out. Former uh, title holder. One of the Bourne movies in 2007 with $63 million. So, uh, yeah. It, it kicked butt this weekend, which is really awesome for the kind of movie that it is. An unknown property. Yeah, uh, and and that's really cool. I think people went because they like Marvel. Yeah, and also it looked delightful. Yeah, it was fun. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I am also fired up this week in pop culture in a very self-aggrandizing, self-plugging, shameless sort of way for two things. First, be of careful those, of those things. Go blind. Is the <laughs> the strain. I love The Strain so much. It's been going on. We're four episodes in right now. It's on FX. It's Guillermo del Toro helmed and written. It's about vampires, but it's sort of like a zombie story. It's been lots and lots of fun, and I've been on the cast inside The Strain with former co-host Caleb Masters, and we've been having a really, really great time doing that podcast. So I want to plug that podcast, and more importantly, I want to plug The Strain. Uh, Watch the show. It's doing really well. It's doing great for a summer series right now. And everyone is uh, reviewing it quite well. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's scary. It's gross. It's sort of CSI, mm-hmm. vampires, and. Now, now is it just you and Caleb on that, or is his friend, his, uh, his buddy Austin on there with you guys? It is just the two of us. Um, and I want to say this about our last episode. Our last episode, we had an interview with Matt, Sa- uh, the character, Matt Sales, the actor, Drew Nelson, who plays him. Oh, wow. Who, um, is the Sears guy who is the sort of uh, rival love interest to the main character oh, cool. in the series. And so it's kind of getting to be a big deal on the show. And so I'm kind of liking that. And so we had an interview with uh, with uh, Drew and uh, wish him the best. And he was a really great interview anyway. And that's the, that's the episode four. Why don't um, you guys hot shit? Oh, well, you know, I feel kind of good about it. Um, I other- hope you're having fun with your mistress, Dustin. <laughs> Dalton, you know... You know- nope! You know you're the girl of my dreams. <laughs> I'm always back in the morning. Oh god! Somebody write this train. You walk right into it. The other thing every time about this week is I finally got uh, the last draft. I still have to do a little bit of editing and polishing for formatting purposes, but the last draft of my chapter uh, to uh, Dead Television, uh, Media Studies and Walking Dead coming out from uh, Rowena Press 
next year. So literally, you're just fired up about yourself this week. I really, I truly am. <laughs> Piece of shit. It, well, you know, I mean, it's where we're 83 episodes in. It's about time. Can, yeah. can, have I not earned it? Uh, okay, I'll let you have it. Do, do we not give a little space? So when, Lord, when? When's going to be my time? But do check out Dead Television <laughs> when it finally does come out, and uh, do check out The Walking Dead. I'm, my chapter is only dealing with the first two seasons, which are really what I know most and best. And I like that show a lot. Uh, there are moments where it is a little soggy in narrative. I was going to say Lincoln. terrible. Well, I think that's incorrect. But um, that's, a, that's a fair assessment. Um, I like the show a lot, and I like zombies a lot, and apparently horror things a yeah. lot. Because I've been saying nothing but those things tonight. So, there you have it, dear listener. What are you fired up about? We'd love to hear that. You already know what our next pick is. Our next pick is Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And we're going to go tomorrow night. Because this thing's going to drop the day before because we recorded live tape because we want to get the word out there the best we can so that we can all watch the movie together. See you at the party, Richter! Because it turns out the movies, if you watch them with people you care about and have a good conversation thereafter, they help you reflect and make life more meaningful and satisfying. So see you at Harkins, 7 o'clock, Bricktown, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. We want to see you there. Good to the theater. So, adios, amigo, and thanks for not getting yourself killed. Hey, maybe we meet now at dreams. <laughs> you never know.